probably should move that. Good morning. Happy Sabbath to all of you. I'm getting a, a booming echo from somewhere here. You're working on it, right? Yes. Okay, good. All right. Well, good morning and welcome to the bridge. No, I am not Bernie Anderson, in case you were confused on that. Bernie is gone to the Carolinas this weekend. He is doing the baby dedication for the self family. Remember them? They were faithful members here for quite some time. And they live up in the Carolinas now. Bernie is on his way with his family to dedicate their baby today. So just a couple of things I wanted to draw your attention to as we get started today. First of all, I, because this is being recorded in the archives, I just want to apologize for all watching online because you're not watching online. Sorry, our stream is not working today. Um, I guess I have to take responsibility for that because I'm the one that sets it up and I apparently did not set it up correctly. So sorry, mom and dad, you can't watch me live. You'll have to watch me later. Um, secondly, we're going to be switching to a new website starting on Monday. The same address, it's just going to look different. So one last time before I make that switch, if you've got a bookmark to a favorite spot on our website, that bookmark's not going to work anymore. You're going to need to set it up again. Otherwise, it's still the same address and everything else. And then finally, if you've been sitting on the fence about going on the Nicaragua mission trip uh, in November, you need to get off the fence and sign up like now because I'm closing the registration like Tuesday, all right? Okay, maybe Wednesday, but Tuesday. Anyway, all right, so you need to sign up for that, all right? And then um, finally, I want to thank Pastor Jeff for being on standby for me this morning. I had a tooth extraction scheduled for last Thursday, and then Matthew had something to do with that. So they said, oh, fine, we'll just schedule it for next Friday, as in yesterday. So last night, I had a lot of ice on my face, and I was contemplating some heavier uh, drugs than the aspirin, but fortunately, I'm fine this morning. So uh, Jeff was willing to step up for that in case I was not going to make it today. So I am here, obviously. So here we go. Let's bow our heads for prayer as we begin. Lord, as we open your word, as we spend some time in it, I just pray that you will bless us as we do so. Bless us as you always do when we encounter you through your word in your name. Amen. Well, we're in a, a series called The End of Me. It started two weeks ago. Hurricane Matthew showed up last week, so part two didn't happen. I was supposed to be part three this week, so this is really part three, but it's really part two. Anyway, you're confused now. That's all right. And uh, the parts of the series are this. You must be broken in order to be made whole. That's what Bernie spoke about two weeks ago. You have to mourn in order to be happy, which seems contradictory. You have to be authentic in order to be accepted, and we have to be empty in order to be filled. That's what I'm going to be talking about this week. Two weeks ago, Pastor Bernie started by speaking about how you have to be broken in order to be whole. And the bottom line is basically this. As Christians, as followers of Jesus, as potential followers of Jesus, we have to find ourselves in a place where we realize that our efforts, our whatever, our issues, they're just broken. And the only way they can we, make, we can be made whole is if Jesus does it. So that was the first week. Now for part two. The story is told in the Bible of a man by the name of Saul. You've probably heard of him. I'll just re review, uh, review the story quickly with you. Saul is a young man, and when he first encountered, we first encounter him in the story, he's probably, I don't know, maybe in his 20s or so. And we first see him at a scene where one of the church leaders, a man by the name of Stephen, prominent church leader, he's run afoul of the Jewish religious leaders in Jerusalem. And Stephen is accused of blasphemy. The punishment for blasphemy is stoning 
which is to say people stood around him with rocks and threw them at him until he was dead. Sounds rather brutal, doesn't it? And this is where Saul first appears. Because as the event is going down, as the, the, the stoning is taking place, we have this little sort of footnote at the end of the event that says, and Saul was there holding the coats, the jackets, of the men throwing the stones. He's helping out in the situation. Perhaps the men, you know, with perhaps longer sleeve jackets, robe sorts of things, took their robes off so they could maybe take a better swing at Stephen. That's when he first appears on the scene. And then from there, he moves on, becomes more prominent. Apparently, the, whatever the feedback he got from this, this first um, attempt at persecuting the church, the, the Christian church, whatever it was, he got some sort of feedback from that, perhaps, and he got some, some affirmation, and he decided he's going to become more involved in this process of getting rid of these followers of Jesus. And so he starts to become very active in seeking them, finding them, reporting them to the authorities, and getting these Christians put in jail, perhaps executed. If Saul had had social media at the time, and you were a follower of his on Facebook or Twitter or, or Instagram or Snapchat or whatever it was, if you were following him, you might notice that in his Facebook posts there would be certain comments. Uh, perhaps he would, he would be uh, condemning the Christians. He would be posting hateful messages. He would perhaps maybe have taken a selfie with Stephen before and after the event. Or maybe he even shot one of those cool slow-mo videos of the men lining up and throwing the stones and hitting Stephen. It went viral, perhaps. Whatever was going on, he is, he's getting a lot of affirmation from his efforts. Maybe at late at night he gets on Twitter and puts out some angry comments about these Christians and their hypocrisy and their, their error. And he's using hashtags like, you know, 20 more dead. And dead Christian, good Christian. And he's, he's boasting and, and placing things about this ampersand crazy Jesus or ampersand liar Jesus. And things are going well for Saul. They're not just going well, they're going really well. Until one day, he is traveling with his posse in their black SUV, Escalades. They're rolling on out of Jerusalem to Damascus. Because, you know, things have been going so well in Jerusalem, it's time to franchise this and move on up to Damascus because there's a lot of Christians there he's heard, and he's going to smoke them out too, get them in jail, get them killed. He's rolling down the road, the highway from Jerusalem to Damascus, when there's a blowout on the SUV. The vehicle rolls. He's ejected from the vehicle. He ends up landing on the ground, looking up to the heavens, and he, he, there's a noise. There's a sound. Everyone there says, well, all we heard was thunder from a passing thunderstorm. He says, no, 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 I heard the voice of God. And the voice of God is telling him, why, why are you persecuting me? Why are you doing this to me, Saul? And Saul is speechless, perhaps for one of the first times in his life. He's speechless because he thinks he's doing it for God. But it turns out he's been fighting him the whole time. It's interesting to go back and, and look at his, his perspective 
on this scenario. And perhaps, in fact, if you were watching on his social media feed, he goes to, he posts again, perhaps a picture of the accident itself, some sort of of uh, some evidence of what went on and, and, and perhaps even the video. He was on the phone or something at the time when the crash happened, whatever it was, but his, his social media status changes. And if you go and look at what he has to say about it in Philippians chapter 3, you'll find that later in his life he has a different perspective about this situation. Let's open your Bible, your digital version, your paper version, Um, If you have neither, you can look up on the screen here. The words will appear. Philippians chapter 3, verses 3 through 11. Let's read it out loud together, whichever way it works for you. But I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. So if you want to have the same words that I do, let's do that at this time. For we are the circumcision who worship by, I I can't quite hear you, by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. And we put no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. For if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Wow. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, But that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That by all means, any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. His perspective has changed. You see, whatever it was that was happening in his life, whatever affirmation he was receiving, whatever sort of accomplishments he was feeling, they are counting him, they become counted as nothing. You see, the only way that we can be filled is if we first are emptied. We have to run out of fuel in our personal spiritual tank. Maybe some of you are guilty of this. You know, you watch, you got that meter on your car that shows you how many miles you have left before you, have, you are absolutely out of gas, right? Some of you are very good at that. I've seen your pictures. You have 19 miles left when you pull into that gas station, right? We have to reach the place where the, not only do we have zero miles left, but there aren't even fumes in the tank. And then Jesus can start to fill us. Because there can be absolutely nothing of our own in our own spiritual tank. Now I want to come back and look at verses 7 and 8 a little bit because I find them particularly interesting in terms of perspective. Let's look at verse 7 first. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. You see that language he's using there? Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. That's accounting language. That's financial language. That's balancing your checkbook language. All right? 
Whatever gain. In fact, in the in original Greek, that could even be plural, as in whatever gains I had. So there could have been not just one, but a list of things. Whatever that list of things is, I count them all as a loss, a single loss. Those of you who are financial types, you understand this language, right? I have this gain. This is a loss. It's all a loss. We just have to write it all off, to use another accounting term. So he starts off by saying it's a gain, but it's really, it was a loss. And then in verse 8, he continues, though. He repeats himself. Paul is good at this. He repeats himself. Indeed, I count everything as loss. There it is again. I count everything as loss. So there's the accounting language again, right? I count. It's not just gain or gains. It's everything now that is a loss. You see that language? But Paul's not done. He's going to do it one more time. He's going to repeat himself yet again. Because apparently he has not been emphatic enough twice, but he's going to be emphatic again. And he says, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of what? All things. Not just gains, not just everything. All things. And I count them not as just loss, but what? Rubbish. Rubbish. How that word is intriguing. I spent some time looking up what that word is about. And that word is translated rubbish in the English Standard Version, what I'm using today, as well as some, many others. In some, it's translated as garbage. But when you look at the King James, good old King James, been around for four or five hundred years, it has the word dung, good old English word for manure. Why, why is that there? What's that all about? Interestingly enough, the original Greek word here is skybalon. I paid a lot of money to learn how to read some Greek. So there you go. You get to enjoy that. So impress your friends with that. Skybalon. Skybalon is an interesting word because it's what's known as a hapax legomenon. See, there's another great word you didn't know you knew, huh? Yeah, paid extra money for that one. Hapax legomenon. Hapax legomenon is a word that only occurs once in a particular literature. In this case, the Bible. This is the only time this word, sky balance, appears in the Bible. So there's no way to go look at other passages and see perhaps how other biblical writers wrote it. So I think that's kind of intriguing. Paul is using this word that doesn't show anywhere else. Now, it was a word that we know about from other writings, you know, other Greek writers around the same time period. So it's not like it's, he just made it up, but it is a word that's unique to the, to the Bible. So sky balance has an interesting history. Because, well, on one hand, it does mean garbage. It's like, you know, garbage, you know, the stuff you don't want anymore, the things you throw away. But, you know, there's something about garbage. You know, you know the expression, one man's junk is another man's treasure, right? So garbage isn't always just bad. You know I mean? It's just like, I just don't need it anymore. I don't want it anymore. But sky balance is more than just garbage. It's also rubbish. As in, not just stuff I don't want, but stuff that's useless stuff. It's just garbage. It, it's rubbish. I don't need it anymore. And it's not even good. It, it's worthless. But there's a third usage for the word, and in the King James, interestingly enough, kind of gets to this. Sky balance can also mean excrement. Now that's interesting. So it's not just worthless, but it's repulsive, offensive. And some scholars argue that perhaps there's a reason why it's only used here and only one time in Scripture. Because perhaps Paul means even more than just excrement. 
Maybe he means it in a slangful sort of way, in an offensive, cursing sort of way. Now, I'll leave you, some of you know, perhaps some English equivalents or Spanish equivalents or whatever it might be that's your native tongue, as to how that might get translated if it were truly an offensive slang term. But I'll let you do that and not suggest it for you. Whatever the exact meaning is that Paul has in mind, his point is simply this. Everything of his personal accomplishments, his personal attainments, whatever it is, all of those things that people might have looked to as success, they might have counted as as an advantage, whatever they are, they are nothing, offensively nothing, compared to knowing Jesus Christ. Now, is Paul empty? Yeah. When everything you have, everything you've done, everything you've accomplished is worthless, yeah, you've, you've reached empty. And now you're ready for Jesus to fill you. You've probably seen this in, in a, a doctor's office, perhaps, or some other professional office uh, location. It, it's called a brag wall. Have you ever heard of this term before? Brag wall. A brag wall is a, a, a wall, like, for example, if you went to the doctor or the dentist, you go into the office, and on one wall, they'll have a bunch of diplomas, right? And certificates, and maybe some awards, Right? Maybe a picture of them with someone famous. I don't know, whatever. That's a brag wall. If you go into the office of a politician, they may have pictures of them shaking hands with famous and, and, and important and powerful people. You know, here's all my influence. I can brag about this. If you're a musician, you might have a wall with posters from concerts that you performed or pictures of you on stage or artsy kind of stuff, you know, or maybe a gold record from a hit song or an album or something, right? And musicians might have that kind of a brag wall. Parents have brag walls. You know, they have a wall with the pictures of their kids from when they were babies to school and graduating. and oh, it's Maybe their diploma, maybe a report card, something like this, some artwork, you know, that first refrigerator art that they ever made. You know, whatever it is, and you've got that brag wall, right? Paul has a brag wall. And we saw it in verses 5 and 6. Let's go back and look at it. His, this is his brag wall, and I want you to notice this just as we finish up today. Verse 5, here is what he's going to brag about. Here is what he could brag about. I was circumcised on the eighth day, he says, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, of the he- a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Do you see his spiritual brag wall? I mean, that's some pretty good accomplishments. He's saying, if you want to to boast, I can boast even more. Here are all the things I could boast in. And notice what he lists. He lists things like his religious heritage, his religious purity, his religious accomplishments, his religious righteousness, perhaps self-righteousness. Do you have a spiritual brag wall? What do you have framed? on that wall. Perhaps a certificate declaring the purity of your diet. Perhaps there's a list of beliefs, 26, 27, 29, 28, whatever, with verses that support them, showing the correctness of your belief. Perhaps it's a, it's a, it's a certificate from your whoever, significant other, declaring the wholesomeness of your language. 
Maybe it's the diploma from all the schools, the wonderful, great Christian schools that you've gone to. Maybe it's a logbook of all of the hours you've put in in your devotional life, the time spent on your knees, the picture of the calluses from your knees. Maybe it's a plaque showing you your title in the church, your title in the denomination, your accomplishments for the church. Paul says that all of those things are rubbish, worthless, manure. But, 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 manure, really? I mean, I work so hard. I did all of this. I accomplished, I put the time in. How can that be worthless? Because anything you do for yourself anything you do to attain salvation, anything you do to win God's favor is worthless. You already have all of those things. Why could you replace it? How could you replace it? What could you possibly do? Paul says those are all worthless. Does not matter what they are. So in other words, when you stand before your spiritual brag wall, And you have those framed accomplishments, those framed spiritual attainments, those framed things there, hanging there. You need to start taking those framed things away. You need to start pulling those things down. You only should have one thing there on that wall. And that is a beautiful framed picture of Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that should be there. If there is anything else, it's in front of him. And you can't see him anymore. And I know, Adventists, this is kind of hard because we really like our stuff that we do. You know, I eat right, I do, I worship right, it's got the right day, I got, you know, yes, yep, sure enough, if it's in front of Jesus, it's worthless. Those things only count when they are behind Jesus, when they are because of Jesus. That's the only way they count. And until you get to that emptiness, he cannot fill you. Let's pray. Lord, we really like the stuff we do. I mean, it just feels good to do the right thing, and it's good to do the right thing. But may we never put those right things in front of you. Amen.